This podcast is also part of a pod course, which is available for credit on speechtherapypd.com. All you need to do is register for the course, complete the requirements, and you will receive credit. Speechtherapypd.com is a video continuing education company, a certified ASHA CE provider. Char Beauchard here. True story. I just hung up the phone with an SLP that had attended an on-site seminar. She said she loved the seminar, but she forgot to fill out her ASHA participant form. Sounds easy enough, huh? Uh-uh. The seminar was three months ago, and all the paperwork had been submitted, and ASHA doesn't take late forms. So I said, Linda, you have to file an appeal with ASHA. Then she said, this is a nightmare. I drove two hours to get there, two hours to get home, and now I have to file an appeal. I felt for her. And then I said, Linda, have you ever heard of SpeechTherapyPD.com? She said, no. I said, just get your CEUs online, girl. That's what I do. You don't have to leave home. They have over 500 hours of video, a huge variety of topics for SLPs that work with children and adults. And if you don't want to watch a video, then listen to the pod courses and get your CEUs that way. Then she said, they're pretty expensive, right? I said, uh, no. Their plans start at $89 a year, for heaven's sake. And then I said, do you want the icing on the cake? SpeechTherapyPD.com has scheduled a CEU cruise next summer to Italy and Greece. Woohoo! She said, okay, I'm looking them up right now. And so should you. SpeechTherapyPD.com. Check them out. Tell your friends. You'll be glad you did. Hello and welcome to The Speech Link, brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Shara Beauchart, speech-language pathologist, and I invite you to join us as we share practical strategies to take your therapy to the next level. We'll talk with experienced experts who have achieved extraordinary results and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. Do you know the current research findings and philosophies of stuttering and stuttering therapy? (laughs) Honestly, prior to this podcast interview, I didn't. But now I have a better understanding of the current views in stuttering therapy. Here's an example. Current stuttering therapy is not just about easy onsets and counting the number of repetitions within a certain length of time but broadening our view of the person to include a wide range of aspects of their communication skills so they communicate more effectively. It's way different from past beliefs, but it makes total sense. No doubt, Nina Reeves is one of the top experts on stuttering in our field. She's knowledgeable, thought-provoking, and you are in for a treat. Here we go. My guest today is Nina Reeves. Nina is a licensed certified speech-language pathologist as well as a board-certified specialist in fluency disorders. She is the staff fluency specialist for Frisco Independent School District, just north of Dallas, Texas, where she lives, as well as the fluency specialist consultant for San Diego Unified School District in Southern California. She is a nationally recognized workshop presenter on fluency disorders. Her practical Use It On Monday concepts are why she's presented over 500 workshops for speech-language pathologists at local, state, national, and international levels. In addition, Nina has authored numerous peer-reviewed and media-based articles on stuttering, including for the National Stuttering Association and the Stuttering Foundation. Most recently, though, she's authored a book called Early Childhood Stuttering Therapy, A Practical Guide. And you can find that incredibly helpful book at stutteringtherapyresources.com, along with many other books and amazing resources. And no doubt, a deserving recipient, Nina has received numerous awards for her service and works tirelessly on volunteer committees, boards, and task forces to enhance service delivery and support for those who stutter. 
Garnering over 30 years of practical experience and knowledge, much of it in the schools, Nina brings a unique and down-to-earth insight to working with those who stutter and their families. And that's exactly why you are here today, Nina. And that's why I'm so excited that you are. (laughs) Welcome to the speech link, Nina. Thanks so much, Char. Thanks for having me. Now, Nina, as speech language pathologists, most of us do our therapy with individuals who stutter. But honestly, sometimes we don't always know exactly what we're supposed to do. And I'll admit it, I'm one of them. Now, to begin, I'd like to address our individual and collective mindsets about stuttering and stuttering therapy as to what we know, what we believe about stuttering. Is that a good place to start? Oh, absolutely, Char. Um, It's so imperative that before we jump into working with individuals to stutter, it's always a good idea to take stock of our own thoughts, our own feelings and beliefs about stuttering, about people who stutter, and even about our own abilities in stuttering therapy. It's, it's kind of like when we think about these mindsets, we have to interview ourselves. Who helped me develop my mindset? Where did I get my thoughts about stuttering and stuttering therapy? And as importantly as who helped shape them is how long ago were they shaped? (laughs) So many of us find out that we may be a little behind on current information of stuttering and stuttering therapy, especially if we are veteran human beings who have been around a while. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, And honestly, I work with a lot of young clinicians who got their information from a veteran human being professor. So it's not even about how how old you are. It's about how old the information that you received is. So we want to visit that mindset. Who, who helped us develop that mindset? What is our mindset? How old is it? And I think that when we do that, when we take time to t- sort of take stock, um, we start to realize that we may have some preconceived notions, some preconceived beliefs, and those may be becoming roadblocks in our work with individuals who stutter. In fact, um, in our school age stuttering, a practical guide, in our first clinical guide, which was on school age, we even started the book with what we called checking in with yourself. So we encouraged Um, clinicians reading the book to actually visit their mindsets. What are your thoughts, feelings, and what are you doing currently with uh, students who stutter? And what parts of those mindset options have shaped what you're doing and what parts of those are getting in your way? so that you can then start to change them. Mm -hmm. You know, I am very encouraged by what you say, because it sounds like there has been some new insights via new research and so on that has come to light in the last few years. And I'm really anxious to find out what those are with you. But before we get into that, What would you say in your experience and your knowledge, what would you say is the mindset of most school SLPs about stuttering and stuttering therapy? Oh, well, unfortunately, Char, there's a prevailing mindset with most speech language pathologists. And I'm not talking about just those in the schools, although this includes them. Um, The mindset is that they don't feel equipped They don't feel like they've had adequate training nor adequate experience in stuttering and other fluency disorders. Um, Now, you know, we could, you know, talk for a couple of hours on the systemic reasons why that's happened um, in our profession. (laughs) But I, I think just recognizing that there is a mindset of confusion uh, for our colleagues uh, it's it's not a nice place to be. It doesn't feel right. Yet many SLPs, as you just mentioned, approach it as I'm not sure what to do, and I may know where to start, but I don't know where to go after that. 
all of those transitions in therapy can be very confusing. But even though that there's a, a mindset of a little bit of confusion and a little feeling of inadequacy from a lot of the SLPs that I talk with, I also say that it is definitely coupled with a huge desire to better help those who stutter. So even though there's some confusion, there's always this underlying professionalism of desire to get better at what we're doing. Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, we all like to do things that we feel that we're good at. And if a person feels that they are not going to help that individual sitting in front of us, it's kind of a scary place to be. And, you know, you sort of end up flailing and trying this and trying that. And when it doesn't work and it doesn't help that person, it's just so very discouraging. And I'm hoping that you can kind of help alleviate some of that for us. And I'm even going to say for me, because I've, I have been there. I totally understand that particular mindset. <laughs> okay. Um, so in a word, what can we do to change our stuttering mindset? Well, I, I first have to tell you that I have been in that space with you. Um, years ago, when I first started in speech language pathology, I thought I had the world by the tail. I, I actually had very good training in stuttering and stuttering therapy. And I thought, oh man, this is going to be great. I'm going to help all these kids. And then you go into the real world and you find out, you know, you find out what you don't know that you didn't know. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's a very scary place, as you mentioned. So I think that if we're going to change our stuttering mindset, one of the things we first and foremost can do is come from a space of ethical considerations. We have to really make certain that we're not continually working beyond our scope of competence. Um, we, we've got to look to protect the children we're working with and provide that highest level of services. And so I think we have to come from a growth mindset space. Um, so no matter where we are on our little professional journeys mm -hmm. <laughs> of working with this population, um, whether we're an established clinician or a younger clinician, we need to realize we're not stuck here. Um, everything is a yet. Uh, when, when you talk about growth mindset and how it works in psychology and even in therapy, um, you end every sentence with the yet. <laughs> so if I'm not yet, well, I'm not feeling comfortable in counseling yet. Yes. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> right. And so if we want to identify what we're lacking and then identify what we need and move forward step by step. I think one of the mistakes that we make is that we think we have to know everything about everything because our scope of practice is so broad and it's hard to go into stuttering therapy um, and not know everything you need to know. And so I try to help the people that I work with, my colleagues look at this as, even in stuttering therapy, we help our students on hierarchies of difficulty. We don't expect them to go from zero to 60. So why are we expecting ourselves to do that? So move forward step by step. Um, I, in fact, I just did a professional development with some of my colleagues at Frisco where I had them write their own IEPs. They had to come up with their strengths and their weaknesses, a present level of academic achievement and functional performance. And then they had to write a therapy plan and um, goals and objectives based upon where they were. And I think that's what we're talking about here um, is finding out where we are, where we need to be, and then giving ourselves permission to step by step, not stay stuck where we are. So I'm trying to think about from a really practical standpoint and somebody that is listening to this pod course podcast. And so what literally, what could we do? You know, um, someone could pause this podcast and get a piece of paper and pencil and write down what they think about stuttering or what could we ask them to do? 
Oh, um, I think that you can start by asking yourself the question, what do I think about stuttering? Okay. Okay. What's my belief about stuttering? Stuttering is what? Yeah. Stuttering comes from what? So it's not, it's not all involved in your knowledge about stuttering, but sort of, you know, what do you believe about stuttering? Do you think it's curable? Do you think it's not? Do you think, you know, what are your beliefs about it? What are your beliefs about people who stutter? Do you have any preconceived notions? You know, people who stutter are dot, dot, dot. Are you stereotyping? Are you basing it on the last kid you worked with? Um, are you basing it on some, let's say, problematic media portrayal of stuttering? Mm -hmm. Because I don't think the media almost ever gets it right, although they're doing a better job, hopefully, in the future. Where are you basing those thoughts and beliefs about stuttering and people who stutter? Okay. I love it. Yeah. And then move yourself towards stuttering therapy. What do you believe about stuttering therapy? What are the goals? What do you believe about your own abilities in stuttering therapy? Because I tell you, clinicians say to me all the time, I'm just no good at it. I can't do it. I, I'm just, I don't know anything about it. And that is a mindset that's going to keep you stuck. That's dangerous, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It is. What you tell yourself expands. How you talk to yourself um, creates your experience. And by the way, the kids who are sitting across from you, they totally think that too, because that's what you're portraying to them. And so we have to be really cognizant that we're bringing things into that therapy room that aren't serving us nor the child, nor the family. Great insights. Okay, well, let's start out on this journey. We don't have, you know, too long of a time, but I would love to understand just a, a brief description of your own mindset about stuttering and stuttering therapy, and then move us in to what you can tell us. Give us a framework or maybe one or two items, specific things that we can do to provide effective stuttering therapy. And even if you want to somewhere along the line, some assessment, but teach us, tell us what we need to know. Okay. Well, I'll start with your first question. You know, um, in my own mindset, um, there a lot of things when you asked that question started swirling around, but I'll try to I'll try to focus it. Um, first of all, I I've learned over the years, and I believe wholeheartedly that people with fluency disorders have no predetermined limits. And I think that serves me well when I walk into a, a therapy room, no matter how significant the stutter, no matter how mild the stutter, and I use air quotes on all of that. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, I don't see any predetermined limit in the student that I'm working with. Um, I also have a mindset that families of those who stutter are key. I truly believe that if I'm not working with that family, um, I am missing a huge opportunity to support that child in their long-term progress. Um, because we have to realize we're struggling as professionals to understand this disorder sometimes and to um, do better in, in what we're doing. Can you imagine being the parent or the teacher or the sibling or friend of a child who stutters? They, they are out there on their own and they're Googling things and they're finding all sorts of, well, not evidence-based practice <laughs> or information. And so we, they're key. We have to be involved with the families and the significant others. Okay. And yeah. And honestly, um, you know, I guess I'd say finally uh, in my own mindset, for sure, it's a huge belief I have that the high quality of services can be accomplished no matter what our setting um, we have to be able to switch our focus from speaking in some certain way to communication. 
Yes. And when we when we go from just speaking to communicating, then I think we open ourselves and our students and their families to a, a broader picture um, of what really good assessment and intervention for flu- fluency disorders can achieve. Wow. Okay. I'm just, I'm trying to think and process. Let's just say that we're working with a fourth grade child in the schools and, you know, he's had several other speech language pathologists work with him and he continues to be disfluent. Tell me what can we do? I know that you can't take us through an entire therapy program, but just give us some insights, some specific, just a few in specifics, if you would. Okay. Well, given that scenario, if I, if I have a student show up in my office at school and they've had two or three different therapists over five years in stuttering therapy. Um, I think the first thing we have to do is a really good taking stock. Okay. We have to do a really good, I would say assessment, but I also know that you can't always just drive through an assessment. Maybe they've already had an assessment a year prior. So you don't have to do a complete huge assessment unless the assessment you've gotten through the transfer um, is not up to par. And so, and so you can fill the gaps. Um, I call it being a detective. It's one of the first things I do when I start with a new student is I try to find out what they know, what they don't know, um, and what they can show. And what I mean by that, Char, is that so many times you'll read in another colleague's notes, they know all of their techniques at the sentence level. (laughs) And then you get this child and you say, now show me that technique or show me how you use a hierarchy to work through your fears of speaking, whatever the concept is. And they look at you with big doe eyes and they can't so they might have learned it from that other therapist but they either don't remember it or can't access it and so it may be may look really good on paper but that child may not be able to functionally utilize it in their real life and that's where we really want to be is how does this child functionally communicate even with their stutter. So truthfully, you know, a child will continue to have stuttering. We are not curing stuttering at fourth grade. All right. And so what we need to understand is how can we help this child communicate effectively in a variety of settings, no matter whether they're stuttering or not. Okay. And so it all becomes about communication rather than speaking, as I talked about before. Okay. Does that help sort of where, what your question was? Yeah, that gives me a direction. Do we do role play with the kids? Do we um, go into the classroom with them? Do we talk about different situations? And, you know, what, how, how do we address that? How do we do that? Okay, I think what I'd like to do in order to be able to give you a more focused answer to that scenario mm-hmm. is let's start let's start with some of the things that you don't want to do. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Um you get a new kid and this is a fourth grader as you said and they're still having trouble communicating and we want to help them. So the first thing not to do is to stay where we're at. Okay, to use any preconceived notion, as we talked about when we were talking about mindsets and to try to do what we did with the last kid who stuttered. Okay, Mm -hmm. so if this child isn't progressing, then um, we have to look at what does progress look like? And we want to get a bigger picture of what this child needs from us and what they need right now. So we're not. Um, we're not going to continue to do what we've always done if that hasn't been working. Um, We're going to learn more. We're going to do more. We're going to do what we're doing right now, which is listening to a pod course 
because we know that we need more information. Um, we're going to find a wealth of resources because they're out there that are going to update and add and expand and change our own clinical practices. Um, and the second thing we're not going to do is get willy-nilly, which is what I call being willy-nilly. <laughs> I actually have a little weeble, weeblo that I, I, I named him willy-nilly. And he's the guy who says, just go grab something off the shelf and see what you can do with it. Or go on to Pinterest and find an activity. Okay. And so many SLPs, I, and, and this is just this, you know, this is what we're talking about, what we've been talking about already, is that they want to help so bad that they will just jump in and do things and lose sight of that overall framework, which I'll I, th I think I can talk about in a moment. Because um, whenever I tell you what not to do, I'm going to give you something to replace it with. Okay. <laughs> um, Good. But yeah, my colleagues report to me that they're feeling as though they're grasping at straws. That they that they're searching the internet, they're going to Pinterest, they're going to other um, internet places for the activities without any solid knowledge of the evidence base or where these little cutesy things fit into an overall framework, okay? I'm not averse to internet and I'm not averse to cutesy. Right. I love all of the activities because I get bored with my own stuff too. <laughs> but when I go to Pinterest or anywhere else, I know what I'm trying to do. I know why I'm doing what I'm doing and I have a framework so I'm going to get an activity based on what I already know I need to present. And so we, if we don't want to be willy-nilly, then we're going to work from a framework that makes sense to us. Okay? Okay. And so, yes. And let's take that fourth grader. Okay? Right. When we want to take a look at that fourth grader's abilities in the area of communication... What are we going to look at? Just how often they stutter? No, because that's only a very small part of an overall framework. Um, one framework that um, I use and that my co-author and I have written about uh, for a long time is the World Health Organization's uh, International Classification of Functioning. Okay, so that ICF model which, by the way, Char, is literally plopped into the ASHA scope of practice. Hmm. We're supposed to be using this framework. It's in the ASHA scope of practice. <laughs> yes, I love it because it really helps us focus not only our intervention, but our assessment. And so I've got this fourth grader, and I need to know, as the ICF would have me look, Function, reactions, environment, and impact. How is this child's functional communication, function of communication, of speech? Let's say that would be the interruptions in the flow of talking. So they have disfluencies. They have um, a, a disruption in the timing and tension of their speech. They stutter. So that's the production of speech. That's the function area. And this is going to be in the handout. Anybody following along with the handout has this ICF model and what I'm talking about. Then I'm also going to look at the reactions of the child. Okay. So reactions such as affective, behavioral, or cognitive. And so that's the ABCs. <laughs> um, and what we want to think about is how does this child think about their communication, what do they feel, and what do they do, okay? What are, their, what are their behavioral reactions? And so what we look at there is, does the child not raise, does the child feel embarrassed, okay? So that's their affective reaction. I feel embarrassed and ashamed of my stutter. Um, does the child then think, um, nobody's going to want to play with me. That's my cognitive reaction. I, I don't 
I'm not going to have any friends. I'm not worth it. And then the behavioral reactions are any kind of, uh, well, for instance, if I uh, try to avoid a word, switch a word, not um, talk to a certain person, I'm changing my behavior based on my reaction to being a person who stutters. Okay. So that's the first two. Is it, I'm, I, is that okay if I just keep going? Keep going. All right. So the, the, fourth, uh, the third part of the ICF model that helps me is I have to look at this child's environment. In this fourth grader, you're talking about what are the other people in, this envi- in his environment doing? How are they reacting? What do they understand about stuttering? Or more importantly, what do they misunderstand <laughs> about stuttering at times? Mm-hmm. And what are their reactions? Are they staying, are they, you know, saying now stop and slow down and take a deep breath? Are, are teachers inadvertently moving on when the child is trying to raise their hand, they don't call on them, you know, trying to seemingly help the child at that moment, but making the child, um, you know, unintended consequence, the child feels like the teacher doesn't want them to talk. So we have to look at the environment and then the impact. Now this is, you know, obviously while we're, while we're looking at function reactions and environment, we're garnering a lot of information about how much does stuttering impact this child's life? How much does it limit their communication? Does it place any restrictions on them, either from external sources or internally? Do they feel restricted in their communication? And so how much communication is being impacted by being a person who stutters? Hey, Busy SLP, Char Beauchart here. Here's a tip from me to you. Every week, become a lot more informed. Sign up for Therapy Matters at charbochart.com. It's free. Learn our tech and language tips and techniques and tons of ideas for making your school therapy life easier and more effective. I've been a therapist for 30 plus years and I love to share what I've learned. Sign up for Therapy Matters, read it or listen to it at charbochart.com. You'll be glad you did because the therapy that you do matters. Sign up now. You know, I'm thinking about some of the kids that I've worked with, and there were some kids that just plowed right through and they didn't let it bother them Mm -hmm. in the least. Then there were others that just stopped talking and uh, interacting. And Mm -hmm. I could see where especially that fourth item would be so informative about the individual person, because we would all think, oh, it's going to hold them back. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't. Not every child is held back. Every child is different. I love that you said that. And that's what we really need to look at um, in an assessment and then in our therapy. So this this framework helps us stop being so willy-nilly <laughs> and it helps us focus what we're looking at when we assess and then what, we, what we're going to write our therapy plan on. Literally, it helps me write my goals <laughs> in the different areas of need and you know, uh, get a a true therapy plan and document progress in a number of different ways. Because we have to understand that the old way of thinking in stuttering therapy was how many stutters does this kid have? We We were counting stutters. We were writing goals of percentages of stuttered speech, which if I can be so bold as to say out loud, Anybody who's still writing goals on percentages of stuttered speech, you are a due process hearing waiting to happen. Hmm. Because as we say in the, in the stuttering community, the only consistent thing about stuttering is that it's inconsistent. And so if we're trying to gauge progress in therapy as whether a child stuttered or didn't, or how many times they stuttered. It just depends on the day, the time of day, the time, you know, it depends on when you took your data. You're either a really good therapist or you're really bad. 
They're either really learning things or they really aren't. And that has nothing, you know, when you're measuring in that way, you're not measuring the entirety of the disorder. Wow. And right. Mm -hmm. And so um, when you look at this, this framework is so helpful in expanding our vision to look at the experience of the child who stutters, not just the stutter. Okay. I'd like you to pick the direction that we're going to go to now. Either stay with that fourth grader and give us some specifics in therapy, or Mm -hmm. tell me about differences in therapy for younger children as opposed to older children or even adults? Are there differences there? Something related to therapy, whichever direction you would like to go. Okay. Well, um, I'd love to go into the differences between therapy for younger students and older students. Okay. Um, And if I can, I'm going to insert a little bit of Um, In order to do a good framework before we even get there, I want to talk a little bit about the um, understanding of the old way and the old understanding of stuttering and the more updated understanding, because that'll help us understand, I think, the differences in therapy and why that is. Okay. Okay. Um, You know, the good news is, is that the old unidimensional, what I call the sole source Um, theories about stuttering. Um, These are those older theories that used to try to explain causation as one particular thing, like stuttering is a psychological disorder, or the old one of stuttering was about overbearing parents and parental pressures. And you can cause kids who stutter, you know, it's a learned behavior. Um, All of those things have not held up over time. Okay, and so they help us to realize that our current theories are much more multifactorial in nature. And um, we need to, before we ever get into therapy, is to realize that stuttering is a neurological disorder, okay? It's caused by an interaction among multiple factors in a child's development, not just one. Um, Right now, the most commonly researched things are focusing on an interaction of child language development, child motor abilities, and their personalities and temperament. Okay, that's what a lot of the theories are working on now. And that's important because even though the exact causes of stuttering aren't yet fully understood, yet, yet, (laughs) growth mindset, um, we do know more about what doesn't cause stuttering. So it's important and incumbent upon us as professionals to stay current in our understanding of research as we move into clinical practice. So when you ask me, uh, what's the difference in therapy for younger and older students? um, I guess I've already said, you know, the old way um, of looking at progress as a percent of stuttered speech, we definitely still look at the function, the production of speech, but we know that we're expanding the scope. And so um, I know that we're shorter on time and I can't launch into an expansive distinction of therapy for younger and older kids, but I can say that it's important for us to understand as professionals that appropriate preschool and early childhood intervention look very different from school-age stuttering therapy and beyond. So even when I present professional developments, I never try to cover them both in the same day. We wrote two distinct clinical manuals on this because uh, preschool early childhood therapy is very different from school-age. And then when you asked about school-age versus adult, I think what we're talking about is the nuances of what someone is ready for, what a younger school-age child is ready for, what a teenager could be ready for, and what they want, and then what an adult wants and needs about in, in their in their therapy. So we just shift our focus based upon uh, meeting 
our students where they are. Nina, when we are working with kids, we typically interact with the parents. Do you have anything that you could share with us? Maybe things to share or not share with parents about the child stuttering? Mm, Really good question, Char. Um, As I mentioned previously, and I'll say it again, parents and the significant others in that child's life are key to the long-term success. And so when we realize that parents and grandparents and siblings were there before us and they're going to be there after us, we know that we have to help them on their journeys to understanding stuttering and to understanding what stuttering therapy can and can't do. So aligning our expectations in therapy. Um, I believe that parents need from us ongoing support. Our job is to make certain that we're not a one flyby at the IEP meeting where we dump all sorts of resources at their feet and wish them well. Um, Our role becomes helping them understand this disorder and understand their child's experience of this disorder as their child relates it to us in therapy. So we're not the expert on their child's stuttering or stuttering experience. Their child is. So we have to be ready to help parents and teachers and others take in how this child is experiencing stuttering in their everyday life. And so we want to empower the child to educate parents, educate others. We want to be there to do that as well, but we're not doing it alone. We have all sorts of organizations and resources at our disposal to empower that child to be an advocate for themselves in the long term. Mostly, I think if, you know, we can do another five hours on working with families, um, but if I had to boil it down to what they really need to do for their child who stutters is to support them along their own journey. And I think, uh, number one, as I said, getting educated for themselves and get their own support. We can, we can help provide them that support, but they need to have support outside of therapy. And I can talk about that when we get to resources. Number two is, unfortunately, as parents, we want to fix things. Our children are struggling. We want to get in there and fix things. And so I try to help my parents uh, look for ways to stop trying to fix their, their child's stuttering, okay? Um, don't provide advice like stop, slow down, start over, take a deep breath, think about what you're going to say, just relax. Those top six things that we're not really supposed to ever say to a person who stutters that everyone says to a person who stutters. Yes. And what, I know, and what they're trying to do is well-meaning. They're trying to help but they're helping from a space of not understanding the entirety of the disorder. So as we help parents get educated and get their own support, they're going to see a bigger picture. They're going to stop trying to fix. And they're going to listen to what their child says and not how they say it. Mm. That's one of, I mean, people say that in the stuttering community all the time. This isn't, This is about the message. Encourage communication in your child. Stop listening to how they speak. Yeah. Um, Because parents are on their own journey. They are on their own journey and they have to realize that their journey is not always going to be exactly the same as their child's. In fact, it'll be very different, but they have to find a way to support their own journey in dealing with stuttering in their family. And 
all of those things that we've already talked about where we have a framework to help parents open up and see the bigger picture, where we know what the old research used to say and what the new research now says, all of the things we've already talked about in this podcast is that helps us to help parents. Do you compare and contrast the old and the new in your book, Early Childhood Stuttering Therapy, The Practical Guide? Do you have it in articles that you've written, blogs? Where can we access that information? Um, Do you have resources and so on that you can share with us? Because the one thing, the recurring theme that I've heard you say is we need to educate ourselves and update ourselves. And where can we do that? How do we do that? Great question. Well, there's a uh, there's a lot of resources out there, and yes, in our book, school age child, the school age stuttering therapy, a practical guide. We have a lot of that information. It's also in the early childhood guide. So, in both of those guides, you're going to get information about research. Nice, comprehensive little overview. Um, I can provide more in the handouts. Absolutely. And what I want to say is these, um, these pieces of information help us to, to um, support ourselves, support the child who stutters, and support the families and the teachers and the significant others. Because no longer will be, we be working from old information or from not enough information. And we can give ourselves that knowledge that helps us speak more effectively with those around us about this disorder. And I will tell you, um, in the Early Childhood Guide, there are so many sections of that guide that talk about how to answer tough parent questions. Okay, good. If a parent says this, here's the background, here's what you can try to say. Not that we think that anyone needs a script, because we don't want it to be scripted. We want it to be understood. It's like the Thinking Clinician's Guide. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Um, Because, you know, we don't want just this therapy, you know, programs, because you know, programs don't fit children, right? It has to be our understanding of the disorder, our knowledge of the framework and the current, the, uh, the current research that supports our ability to provide effective therapy. And so yes, uh, good resources, um, the ASHA practice portal, If you haven't been on the ASHA practice portal, there's a a series of portals on the different communication disorders with which we work. So there's an ASHA practice portal for fluency disorders, among others. The Stuttering Homepage, the Stuttering Foundation, the National Stuttering Association, the Stuttering Association for the Young, Friends. and, and then there's us at stutteringtherapyresources.com. That's just to name a few. Okay. And I'll provide as much as I can in the handouts as well. Okay. Sounds good. Now, I know that you also have um, a website or a couple of websites, ninareeves.com, and then we can go in there and access more information and uh, kind of opt in. How do we do that? Oh, okay. Well, um, ninareeves.com is my, uh, my homepage and there's information there about what I do, my professional development, my consulting, my therapy. Um, if, uh, if you want to, let's have, uh, the, I'm going to maybe do some downloadable things for people who, uh, do this pod course and you can access that at, um, www.ninareeves.com slash SLP sign up. And I'll provide some downloadables there. Um, they'll opt in and I'll get, uh, I'll get the downloadable to them via email. Very nice. Thank you. You're so welcome. 
Yes, that's, I really like that. Thanks for doing that. Now, let's wrap up here. And if you would just kind of summarize what you've talked about and some of your important points that you'd like us to remember, just a couple of minutes, if you would. Well, I think I'd like to say that um, I want to reiterate that this is doable. I know that we talked a lot about certain things today that may seem overwhelming to someone who is coming from a space of not feeling comfortable or confident in their stuttering therapy. But I just want to say this is so doable. Uh, We have the ability in our day and age to make certain that we don't stay stuck with what we used to know. Um, We have to be very savvy consumers of what we find um, in resources and on the internet We have to make certain that it's grounded in evidence-based practice. And just because it's on a website doesn't mean it's real or true. Um, But when we have those resources, we can move forward and feel better and be more effective with kids who stutter. Um, if If we think about just one thing, one takeaway, as I, as I leave this pod course today, is that a big to-do um, for us as professionals is to understand our power and influence on a child's communicative future. When we step off that autopilot um, that we can get very easily into, if we step back, we can see the enormous responsibility we are given. These individuals who stutter and their families are putting their faith and trust in us. We must be willing really to meet this responsibility and ensure that our service delivery is of the highest quality. And so if we're not feeling ready, if we're not feeling there yet, then step-by-step, small bites, get a framework, make a plan, work the plan, and you'll find that working with students who stutter is not scary. In fact, it's one of the most rewarding things you will ever do as a professional because you're helping these students in a world that doesn't understand stuttering. You're helping them communicate no matter whether they stutter or not, and you're letting them know that they are okay no matter how they speak. Excellent. Thank you, Nina. I certainly appreciate your expertise in this area and sharing it with us. All of your practical insights are very helpful. Thank you so much, Nina. Oh, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Continue to do what you do. We appreciate you. (laughs) Thank you. No stopping us now. (laughs) That's right. Thanks, Char. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the speech link. Please check out my other offerings at my website, charvoshart.com and also speechtherapypd.com. See you next time for more interviews, information, and insights. Until then, thank you so much for all that you do with your speech kids. Be well, and God bless.